God wants it to be. It could be 6,000 years old if the genealogies are exhausted or could not. But it really has no difference. And I would encourage you, if you hold a, a very strong position, don't divide the body of Christ over it. There's lots of people who love Jesus and they believe it's 20 billion years old. Does that change who God is? No. And again, the Bible never says that it's 6,000 years old. Not one place. When God finished creating the earth and everything on it, He declared it good. We're all a part of that creation, and He meant you. Be encouraged today as we consider God's creation, that He's delighting in your life and what He's accomplished in you and through you. He has a lot invested in us, a lot of love. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 4, with our continuing study entitled, Creation. repetition of the creative word of God, a reports of its effects, God's evaluation that it was good. Sometimes God names things and then the numbering of each day. And it's a repetitive theme. This is God speaks, something happens. God says, hey, this is good. Sometimes things get named and then a day is numbered. Now, At this point, as we're about to embark on the seven days, we have to realize that the biggest rub with modern science is this, that God summons and it happens exactly as he commands. That's the biggest rub with modern science today. Because the problem that modern science has is that you cannot prove the existence of God in a laboratory. It would, I mean, it would be great if a scientist went through the method and God just kind of peeked down from heaven and said, yo, yo, I'm here. That's the biggest issue that, because scientists will tell you all the time, someone who has what they would call an evidentiary model of how they understand truth, they'll say, prove to me that God exists. And of course, we can say, well, just look around. We're communicating with one another. But the reality is, is that the Bible teaches that God summons and it happens exactly as he commands and that the design of the world is not autonomous or accidental. It is based upon the will of God. So when people who have a science bent come to me like, I, you know, I don't understand how you're a pastor and how you can believe in God. I mean, can you prove to me that God exists? I always say the same thing. I say, listen, the only difference between what we believe is that I believe that God did it And you believe it happened by chance. And I'm like, this is all too wonderful to happen by chance. I don't have enough faith to believe that this could all happen by chance. I don't have enough faith to believe that. I mean, what are the chances of taking a 5,000-piece puzzle and throwing it up, and it comes down, and two pieces get stuck together, and you throw them up again, and they come down, and over billions and billions of years of tossing this stuff in the air, at some point the whole puzzle comes out.
But the problem with it, the problem with it is that it's not that they can't believe in God. They're just not willing to. And listen, I don't hold that against them because I wasn't willing to believe in God either. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. So I was, I wasn't willing to believe in God at some point. And then I hit a point that says, well, listen, if I'm not willing to believe in God, how can I say there's no God? Because even if there is a God, I don't want him anyway. If you listen to Richard Dawkins, maybe the most prominent atheist around, he'll always say something crazy like, well, if there is a God, I, for one, would be most disappointed. And to that I say, no matter how many degrees you have, that's bad science. You're bringing your bias to your science. But this is the rub. God commands it, and it happens. God says this is what's going to go on, and it goes on. And that is the biggest difference between the faith community, the people of God, Christians, and the scientific community. It's that one thing. Now, that one belief is a watershed for everything else. Because if you're not willing to believe that there is a God, then you have to come up with a way that all this happened. And so you get one theory. But if you believe in God, then you say, well, it says that God commanded it and it happened. And if God is all-powerful, all-knowing, then it's, it's not a problem. But that's the rub, isn't it? Is God real? Can God do such things? Now, before we get into it, are they seven literal days? Right? People always ask that. And again, this becomes a question of how do we date how old the earth is? And the reality is if you believe in a God, it could be six literal days or seven literal days. It could be seven seconds, seven milliseconds, seven million years because God can do it. Now, I believe that it was in seven literal days because it says in an evening and a morning was one day. In the Hebrew, it comes off emphatic. It's very specific. I mean, if we believe in God, God could have, it could have said he did it in seven quarks of a second or something. And it's not even a real thing, a quark of a second. It could be anything God wanted it to be. So the issue is like, did God actually need seven days to do it? No. God could have done it in, in any amount of time he wanted to do. But really the, the day issue becomes a how can we date the earth? Now the reality is this. If you are a young earth believer. You say, I believe the earth is 6,000 years old. You really don't get that from the seven days of creation. You actually get that from the genealogies. Where you look at every genealogy and you, and you count the numbers. Now, I think the issue, and it's an honest issue with that position, is that are the genealogies exhaustive? Do they hold every single person that was ever meant to be there? And if you look at the way genealogies function, you never get an odd number genealogy. Weird. So are genealogies meant to be exhaustive family trees to get us from Adam to Jesus, or are they meant to get us from Adam to Noah, Noah to Abraham, Abraham to David? It's a big question. And what I want to tell you is this. It doesn't matter at all how old the earth is. It really doesn't. The truth of God's word doesn't hinge on how old the earth is. It could be as old as God wants it to be. It could be 6,000 years old if the genealogies are exhaustive or it could not. But it really has no difference. And I would encourage you, if you hold a, a very strong position, don't divide the body of Christ over it. There's lots of people who love Jesus and they believe it's 20 billion years old. 
Does that change who God is? No. And again, the Bible never says that it's 6,000 years old, not one place. I have no problem with people holding it either. And there's very strong scientific evidence. If you look at things like people talking about the dating of the earth, see, this is why it's going to take us a little while to get through Genesis chapter 1. Okay, so all of the dating of the earth stuff that people say it's billions and billions of years old, it's always founded on the reality that the speed of light is always constant, right? But is the speed of light always constant? There's guys like Barry Setterfield, who's a Harvard physicist, and I'm not a physicist, so I don't want to butcher his work, but he makes a strong case that we don't necessarily have to hold to that the speed of light is always constant. We don't have a long enough view of it, of research, to be able to say that it is or isn't. And he has reasons why he believes that the speed of light is changing. And he's a scholar. It's not like some pastor trying to make up a theory to make people feel better. So for me, the age of the earth is not the point of Genesis chapter 1 or any of the Bible. The reality is that God created the heavens and the earth, and God did it in an orderly fashion, and he did it in the way that made sense to the divine mind. So in verse 3, look what it says. It says, Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. He called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. The first thing God does is create the light. Now, people always say, well, hey, how does this work? Because God doesn't create the sun until the fourth day. So how does this happen? And the answer is, guess what? I don't know. I don't know. But what we do know is that the first thing that God did was shine light into darkness. Is that by chance? No. Because right away, it all points to Jesus. It says Jesus was the light of the world. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. That's John chapter 1, verse 5. We know in John 22, verse 5, it says this in the new creation, that there shall be no light there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever. I love this. God creates the light, and he sees that it's good. Now, also in this verse, you get the first separation in the Bible. We live in a culture that doesn't like separation. If you've been reading the news, they have a new educational thing where they want to have gender-neutral education. It's an amazing thing that a culture with so much learning struggles with the reality that boys and girls are different. I just don't get it. I don't get it. And we live in a culture that doesn't want to make distinctions between people. But all over the Bible, there are distinctions made. Some of you have blonde hair. Some of you have brown hair. And even though you can go get a bottle of dye, the roots always tell the story. Some of us are short, and some of us are tall. I could put as many platforms as I want on my shoes. I'm still a short dude. And guess what? Some of us are walking in light, and some of us are walking in darkness. We shouldn't be afraid of the truth. We shouldn't be afraid to take an honest inventory and say, am I walking in the light, or am I walking in darkness? G.I. Joe said, knowing is half the battle. Love that. G.I. Joe, wisdom from G.I. Joe. If you're in here today and you're, and you're saying, look, 
I'm not walking with Jesus. You have to know that you are walking in darkness. And you, I don't need to tell you, you know that. Before I became a Christian, I knew it. I, no one had to tell me. Was, you'd say, oh, hey, you were like a light in the world. I'm like, Psh, I'm just trouble in this world. And I like being trouble in this world. That was my attitude. But the reality is this, is that right away on the very first day of creation, God makes a distinction between light and darkness. And if you're here today and you are like, look, I'm in darkness. I don't believe in Jesus. Don't do this stuff. All you need to do is turn to Jesus and he will shine his light in you. That's all it takes. An acknowledgement that God sent his son for you. And light will begin in your life. Not your own self-generated light, but his life. So then, so you have the first day. Light happens. Look at verse 6. It says this. Then God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. So on the first day you get light, and the second day you get this firmament, or some of your translations say a great expanse. So what you have is really what this is, is the division of the waters. Remember in verse 2? The Spirit was hovering over the face of the deep. Now we have a, a sky, a heavens, both the, the most close sky and the outers that separates the waters from the waters. So the waters that end up becoming the waters on the earth from another set of waters. Now what's interesting about this is that when you look in later in the book of Genesis, specifically in Noah's flood in Genesis chapter 7, it talks about how the windows of heaven opened up and water rushed in. A lot of people believe that what happened, and this is why the people who lived on the earth in the beginning lived so long, was that there was a water encasing around the earth. It's not there anymore. But there was a time when this expanse happened that there was the waters that became the waters on the earth, and then there's a water canopy surrounding the earth, and it created like a perfect greenhouse for the perfect way to live. And that's why when the flood happened, it wasn't just a lot of rain for a long time, but this was a unique type of a flood where this canopy of water ended up rushing in. And it makes for fascinating discussion on why people live so long. And we're going to deal with some of those things as we go through. But what we have is we have the creation of the heavens or the skies in all of its vastness. And it separates the waters that are on the earth from the waters of heaven. Then you move into verse 9, and look what it says. Then God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let dry land appear. And it was so. See that? There's the command, and it was so. We keep seeing that. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass. This is in verse 12. The herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the third day. Now it's fascinating. Here in the third day, we have two distinct acts. First, we have the preparation of the dry land and the seas, and then furnishing the dry land with bushes and fruit trees. 
So remember, in the, in the second day, you have the separation of the waters, and now you have the bringing together of land into land and seas. And then, of course, you have the reality that the earth begins to bring forth this shrubbery. It's interesting. Don't, notice what it says there. It says that let the earth bring forth grass. So God created the earth and the land, and then he said, let the earth bring forth grass. So God created the earth with the ability to bring forth nourishment for the animals and the people he's going to populate. And that's kind of a fascinating thing, isn't it? That God gave the earth the ability to do this. So you see how this is going, right? First light happens, and then there's this expanse that happens that separates the waters, and then the waters become this come together to be the seas, and you have dry land, and now you have things growing on the land. Now again, what's fascinating is this. What's fascinating about this is that this is where people who want to believe in epochs of days and things, they say, well, how long did it take the earth to first bring forth all this shrubbery? It's a good question, right? And guess what the answer is? It doesn't say. See, people always say, like, you know, Pastor, you're copping out. I'm like, look, there's no cop-out to be silent where the Bible's silent. That's actually solid biblical interpretation. It's solid to say this is what the Bible says and this is what the Bible doesn't say. The problem we get is when we're trying to make the Bible say things that it doesn't actually say. Then the trouble isn't with the Scriptures. The trouble is with us. So it doesn't say. God could have said, let the earth bring forth and all could have popped right up in what would be us, like time-lapse photography, and it happened in an instant. It doesn't say how long it took. It just says that God gave it the the ability to do that. Now, I want to close with one point that I've been skipping over, and I've been skipping over it on purpose. Do you notice at the end of each day, it says that God saw that it was good over and over and over again. God saw that it was good. So in effect, we've done the introduction in the first three days. But this idea of God creating things and seeing that it's good. This is an amazing picture of God and one that I I wanted to close our message with this week because it's so important. And that's the reality that as God created the heavens and the earth, and as we see everything in it, God enjoyed his own handiwork. God was like a great composer who writes a piece of music and hears it and says, man, that is good. God's enjoying his own work. You know, some people call, we've been joking about this word here as a staff, divine afflatus. You like that? Say it, say it, divine afflatus. Divine afflatus. It's interesting, we actually get the word flatulence from that word. Now, I am not saying that God created everything through some holy style of flatulence. I'm not saying that. But divine afflatus is actually a great creative and inspiring spark. That's what it is. And really what you have here is you have God the... Ma- you guys like this. You want afflatus, A-F-F-L-A-T-U-S. You can look it up in the dictionary. It's in there. I didn't make it up. I like to make up words, but not that one. But I want you to get this point because we live in a day and age, especially as Christians, where we have a tendency to think that God hates the world, he hates what he created, 
he thinks humanity is bad and animals are bad and the earth is bad when the reality is, is everything that God made, God said, this is good. It's really good. God, the great designer, putting things together and enjoying what he's doing. I got a great email from uh, some of the, our workers in the early childhood education. There was where a little kid was eating a, a chocolate donut with sprinkles on and he said, God said that this is good. So good. <laughs> and you can, you can imagine like a little four-year-old, right, with chocolate and sprinkles all over his mouth. being like, oh, this is so good. But it's a perfect picture because that's exactly how God felt about what he created. So listen, as we go out of here tonight and you go out and look at the sky, whether there's clouds in it or whether the sun's in it, when you look at that, when you say, God made that and said, that's good. When you look up at the stars, if they're there, if you know that they're behind all those clouds, this is good. When you walk on the ground, God made this and said, this is good. What this does for us as Christians is it gives us the opportunity to radically enjoy all that God created. See, people always say, you know, we give up this life as Christians for the next life. No, we maximize this life because we start to grab hold of this life. If it's raining, we say, Lord, this is good. If it's sunny out and we're getting our vitamin D filled, we say, Lord, this is good. Every time you, you stub your toe on a rock, you should say, man, this is good. If you're on the beach, like some people are in Mexico right now who are watching us online and they got their toes in that nice fine sand, mmm, this is good. And if you walk outside because of all the rain we've had and you get mud all over your sneakers, what should you say? This is good. And the reason we say that is because as God is creating everything, God says, this is good. God's enjoying what he's doing. And to make an extension for our lives, what God is doing in your life right now, God says, it's good. And the key for us is to get on board with that. Because I realize that sometimes God's ways aren't our ways. Some, when God is pruning one of our lives, we're not saying, oh, Lord, this is fun. Thanks. But God is, he's a master designer. God is inspired by what he's doing in your life. Do you believe that? That God is just enjoying the work that he's doing in your life because God knows what he's trying to produce in your life. He's trying to produce Christ-likeness, a, a likeness in your character to Jesus. And guess what? We don't know how to do that, but God does. And God is enjoying that in your life. And that doesn't mean that sometimes we're like, Lord, you know, come on. But even in the midst of our sorrow and our tears and the hard times, we have to... Remember that God is doing what he's doing and saying, this is good. What I'm working here is good. Isn't that what Philippians 1, 6 says? Being confident of this very thing, that he who started a good work will be faithful to complete it in you until the day of the Lord. God's doing a good work. Jesus is After God created the earth and everything on it, He declared it good. The great designer looks at us and delights in His creation. As Pastor Daniel said, we should get on board with that, acknowledging that God is enjoying what He's doing in our lives. 
God is doing some amazing things here at Crossroads Community Church. And I'm so thankful for what God is doing right here on Jesus' Real Radio. It's my prayer that each day when you join us, that Jesus truly is becoming more real in your life. I want to invite you to join us at Crossroads Community Church this Sunday live. We stream all of our services live on the internet. Sundays 9 and 11, 15 Pacific Standard Time or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. as well as Encore services. All of our services are there for people who can't make it to be with us live at church. So please join us at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Yes, we encourage you to join us for one of our worship services at Crossroads Community Church. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow the links to the live stream. Next time on Jesus Is Real Radio, we'll continue to move through this study in Genesis, learning more about what these first words were meant to tell the people they were first written for and what we can gain from Genesis today as believers in Jesus. You've been listening to Jesus Is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through this series next time. Until then, may God bless. Jesus is real. My life is no typical journey.